Man, I am, uh, I'm so glad to see you guys. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but one year ago uh, on this Tuesday, this was the last Tuesday that we got to have before the entire world uh, shut down and before quarantining and the, and the pandemic and this whole world that we find ourselves in um, really started. And you know, the pandemic had some really strange consequences um, that have come about as a result of that. I feel like our whole way of life is in some ways flipped upside down. Some things um, will probably never go back to the way they were. Some things um, probably will. And we're kind of just caught in the middle of this. And you know, one interesting consequence that came as a result of the pandemic, um, and I promise this is going somewhere, it's not a bank commercial, but interest rates for houses plunged to a historic low. And for some of you guys, you're like, that makes no sense to me. It doesn't matter. But basically, just think about it this way. The lower interest rate is, the better um, it, your payment is every single month. The more money you save, the cheaper it is. Um, so I'm sitting in a home, you know, in the middle of the, the pandemic, and I'm like, man, I keep seeing all these people talk about historic low interest rates. Like, I think now is the time. I'm trying to get married this year. Like, now is the time to buy a house. Um, so I get this plan in my head on what I'm going to do. All right, I'm going to go into the bank, and I uh, Google what a competitive interest rate for somebody um, of my standing might be, and I'm like, this is going to be it. I'm going to go in. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to talk to the bank guy, and I'm going to say, this is the interest rate that I want. This is what I deserve to get. Um, so um, like most millennials, I Google what you should wear uh, to go talk to a loan officer. And uh, so I put on like my most businessy outfit. You know, I, I listen to some hype music on the way over there to get my confidence up to go in and talk to this guy. And I come in, and I'm like, hey, I want to buy a house. I want to borrow this much money and able to do it. And I demand that I've got this interest rate. And he said, hey, we would love to help you. Here's what we're going to need to see. I need a copy of your W-2s. I need the last two weeks of pay stubs that you have. I need your last two years tax returns. I need you to bring all these pre-questionnaires in, and I need to see your three proofs of identification. And I said, what was that second one? And I was totally unprepared. I did not have any of the stuff that I needed uh, in order to begin this business relationship uh, with this bank. And the guy uh, looks at me and says, hey, man, you know, I was like you one, at one point in my life, so I want to try to give you some advice. And he's like, hey, me and you, we're about to enter into a very long-term commitment. We're going to be entering into a commitment that is going to last 30 years. And if order for this business relationship between me and you to work out, I need you to not worry about whether or not you have a tie-on. I need you to come prepared to every meeting that we're going to have. When I say that I'm going to call you on the phone, I need you to be prepared to answer the questions. I need you to bring all of the right things to the table before you come in to these meetings. I need you to have all these things with you before you start to have this. And the reason I start here there is this, is I think a lot of us, before we ever go on the first date, we don't come into it with any preparation. Or at worst, we come into it with the wrong preparation. Just like I just did a quick Google search and I threw on really the wrong outfit for that kind of thing, that's really about as much thinking as we think about when it comes to preparing to date someone. I think there are some things that we need to address, we need to be bringing with us before we go to the first date, before we ever try to enter into a legally binding relationship that will last longer than 30 years, but will last for the remainder of the time that we have on this planet, guys. Because listen, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. Your future life, 
your future children's lives, the health of the churches you attend, the future landscape of the family and our nation. Last week, we quoted a lot of really bleak statistics about the brokenness of the American family, and some of you lived that statistic. And if you didn't live that statistic, you know that you don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to live in a loveless marriage where people are more like roommates than they are husband and wife. You do not want to go through the pain of the divorce. But you know what is ironic about that? Is nobody, nobody plans for that to happen to them. Nobody walks down the aisle thinking that we're going to get divorced. Nobody walks down the aisle thinking I'm going to wind up in a loveless marriage, but it happens. And it happens far too often. Guys, the chance to turn that around is not five years down the road from now. It's right now. It's preparing well now. So I want you guys to pray with me, and we are going to jump in tonight on how we can prepare well. God, we love you so much. We are here for you tonight, God, and we are here to learn from your word, Lord. And, and truly, the desire of our hearts, God, is to change the landscape. God, to change the future of the way people think about marriage, the way that people think about love, and to try to return, God, as a community to your idea of love, Lord, more than learn how to love each other well, God, we must learn how to love you well first. Lord, that's the desire and the cry of our heart tonight. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me tonight, God, that you would allow uh, God, just your Holy Spirit, just to speak into every one of our lives. God, I know that you have something for everyone who is here. Lord, I just want to step out of the way, God, and allow you to step in. God, we love you so much. And we ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so a little roadmap for tonight is we're going to talk about three ways that you can prepare before date one. You guys know usually, if you've been coming for a while, know that we usually like to stick with one passage of Scripture. Uh, tonight, we're going to touch on a few different ones, so unless you're a real Scripture ninja, it's probably going to be kind of hard for you to alternate back and forth. So if you're kind of taking notes, just write down the reference. You guys can follow along with me on screen. Those of you guys that are joining us online, you guys can also follow along with us on screen as well. Well, so we're just going to go straight for this. Um, so first thing that you can do to prepare well is you can heal your hurts and your habits. Heal your hurts and your habits. You will carry hurt in your life until you put it down. And many of us in here, what we try to do to deal with unresolved hurt and destructive patterns in our life is we just go and leap into relationship to relationship. What we try to do is we try to take a Band-Aid and put it on a broken bone because we have bought into the lie that if we just start dating another person, that our pain, that our pattern, our dysfunction, our habits will just magically go away. So what results is we hop from relationship to relationship trying to find the right person, trying to find the person who's going to help me put all the pieces back together, someone who's going to fill in that gap. And whenever we don't feel that, when that feeling doesn't go away, when that same pain shows its face again, when that same pattern pops up again, we just think, oh, like I found the wrong person. It's not my fault. It's their fault. So then we get out of that relationship and we go try to find someone else. And you know what the problem with that is? is you are not training yourself for marriage when you do that. You're training yourself for divorce. 
because you're not preparing yourself for commitment. We have trained ourselves to believe that the other person is there to complete me. And then when they can't and it gets hard, we just quit and we just jump out. And every single time we do that, we pick up hurts and we try to deal with those hurts with bad habits. So those bad habits we get, they get worse. But we don't want people to try to see those, so we hide them. We bury them. We keep them beneath the surface. We try not to let anyone see them. Guys, what I think God wants us to do is instead of hiding those hurts and habits, like let's deal with them now. Coming on screen for you, 2 Peter 2.19 says this. It says, They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Peter is teaching us that our choices can lead us to being a slave of our past. And what we need to do is resolve our sins with Christ, guys. Sometimes in life, we say yes so many times to something that you lose your ability to say no to it. And when you lose your ability to say no, because out of your free will, you've said yes to something so many times, you no longer can say no to that. We call that addiction. And again, the ironic thing is nobody plans to become addicted to something. Nobody plans to get sucked into something so deep that they can't get out, but it happens. Guys, we, when we don't cleanse ourselves of the things that hurt us, they will continue to follow us. You will not be able to outrun them. They will follow you to the grave unless you deal with them, unless you deal with those hurts, unless you deal with those habits. So how do you deal with them? 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-9. This is also on screen for you guys. John writes, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. John's saying, hey, if you try to act like it's all cool, if you try to minimize sin, if we try to minimize our addiction, like we're only lying to ourselves when we do that. But verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So if you've got pain from life that you haven't dealt with, listen, it will not go away when you get married. It will just get more apparent. It will just get more obvious. If you have pain in your childhood that you have not dealt with, if you have people from your life you haven't forgiven, it will show up and it will hurt your marriage. If you have got bad work habits and bad work boundaries, it will show up and it will become obvious. It will not magically go away. If you have trust issues, they will not get better. They will most certainly get worse unless you address them, guys. The reality here is this, is everyone in here that can hear my voice, everyone that's watching online, everyone who's going to listen to this in the future, you have some kind of brokenness in your life, some type of messed upness in your life that you need to deal with. And we need to confront it, not just to prepare 
for having a family one day, but more importantly, preparing to follow Jesus better. And that's, guys, why it's so important that you deal with this stuff now. The time to address it is now. It's in community. It's with other people, guys. The power of confession and giving it over to God is the power of the gospel to set you free. That is John's answer for the brokenness that you feel in your life. Talking about it more pointedly, he says, confess it to trusted believers, to other Christians pray for repentance and ask God to put the pieces of your life back together. He will do it. He'll do it. Guys, listen, I know I'm not making any friends with this one. But it could be the most important thing that you ever hear me say. Because you could be potentially ruining your marriage before you ever even walk down the aisle or you ever even ask that person to go on the first date with you. So listen to me and listen carefully. If you're dating someone and they're using pornography as a form of recreation, you need to break up with them. Like full stop. You need to do that. Because you need to allow that person to heal apart from you. And I get you're like, that does not sound like Jesus. Like, that doesn't sound loving. Like, that's the most loving thing you can do for them. Is you can send out a very serious signal that this will not be tolerated in the body of Christ. That this will affect our future marriage. This will scar you and I and our families in the future, guys. Because listen, this is what pornography does, is it retrains your brain for what intimacy is supposed to be. It actually desensitizes you from being able to experience normal human intimacy and human relationships with other people. It is quite literally training your brain for variety when you were designed and built for singularity. Some of you in here right now are thinking like, okay, like, you know, I've gotten involved with that before. Like, I've done that before, but like, I'm also like dating someone like right now. Like, we've had sex. Like, it doesn't seem like we can stop. Are you saying that we should break up? Like, are we a part of that? Like, maybe. But what definitely needs to happen is a conversation of, hey, how seriously are we going to take God in his word? How much of our life and our future are we willing to say like we trust God with enough that we're going to do something about it? What steps do we need to take to get in line with what God's word says? See, in our culture right now, there are more people who are kind of sliding into marriage than deciding to get married. And what do I mean by that is, is people are more likely to kind of do this thing where it's like, ah, let's kind of move in together. Let's start doing everything that married people do, but without the commitment, we're just going to sort of play married. We're going to see if we can figure this out. We're going to do like a trial run. And somewhere down the line, maybe years later, they decide to get married and they just sort of slide into it rather than decide. And the thing is, is you're actually way more likely not to make it if you do that. In fact, it will increase your chances from about 45% to 85% to get a divorce. Because listen, God's not trying to rip you off. What he's saying to you is you are not designed for that level of intimacy. You are not designed for that level of commitment to take place outside of the covenant of marriage that God has created. And look, I get it. Like This is wildly unpopular right now. 
Like in our culture, in our society right now, the predominant mindset about love, relationships, dating, sex, all that other stuff is like the progressive sex ethic where it's like, hey, there's only two things that really matter. One is the person over 18, so it's legal. And two, do they consent to doing whatever it is that you want to do? And if you check all those boxes, it's like, hey, you know, you do you. You've got the freedom to be whoever it is that you want to be, the freedom to express yourself however you want. It's maximum, maximum liberty. But the problem is, is we take all the guardrails away that God has created to protect us from ourselves. We take something that God created as good, something that God intends for be good, to be good and something that I believe still can be good. And we deface it. And we abuse it. And if you're like me, at some point in your life you've pulled a Romans 1 and you have worshipped the gifts that the Creator has given more than the Creator himself. And you have taken God's good gift and you have used it without God's instructions, without God's parameters. And it has hurt and it has damaged your life. And just like that verse that we just read from Second Peter, the sin of what you're doing has made you a slave. And that's what happened to me. Guys, I was addicted to pornography for years. It messed my life up. Messed up the way I view people. Messed up the way I tried to have friendships with people. All kinds of stuff that got distorted within me. I thought that I was going to be a slave for it forever. I thought for the rest of my life, I'm going to be stuck with this. I'm not going to be able to kick it. I was sucked in for years. And on top of that, the real, real underlying devil of pornography is porn breeds self-hatred within you. Because sometimes you can't see that God loves you because you don't even love yourself. So then you start to believe that everybody in the world doesn't care for you. And if no one around you feel like cares for you, then how can you see that God cares for you? And guys, that is just the horrible, horrible, but so effective scheme of the enemy. But listen, I have such great news for you. I realized in my life that Jesus meant what he said. Jesus said, I came so that you would know the truth and that the truth would set you free. That Jesus, my Savior, can be Jesus, your Savior. That the Savior that saw me in my addiction, in my shame, in my self-hatred, pulled me out. And set me free. And restored the brokenness in my life. And slowly but surely surrounded me with God's people. And through so much prayer began to remove the distortion. And began just slowly putting my heart back on track. This is how we view people. This is how you see people. As made in the image of God. This is how you get over that. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to set you free. That's what he wants to do. But if you don't go to God, if you don't confess it to God, if you don't seek repentance, if you don't seek to turn your life around, that's what repentance literally means is making a 180 degree turn like you are walking somewhere. If you keep going that way, it's not going to work. But if you turn around 
you commit yourself to Jesus, I thoroughly believe he will set you free because he wants you to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Second thing, second thing I think you can do to prepare well is confront your selfishness. Confront your selfishness. I think one of the things that you can do to confront selfishness in your life is not to live alone. Don't live alone. Get you a real, real dysfunctional roommate, like a real messy one who never does the dishes. You know, like a, a, a roommate that has like trouble communicating their needs, that has a terrible way of communicating, this is what bothers me, that's really confusing. You know, I'm talking about get you a roommate that honestly kind of annoys you uh, a little bit. Because I'm telling you, you're never going to realize how selfish you are until it depends, until your life depends on other people's survival and their well-being. Because listen, one day your spouse is going to have a very dysfunctional roommate that they have to deal with every day, and it's you. You're the dysfunctional roommate. So yeah, like some people, you know, might be say like, hey, like I really prefer like living alone. Like it's a lot easier for me. Like that's my preference. And here's the thing. There's so much skill that you can learn in life if you just give up some preference. Like your preferences actually can prevent you from learning. In fact, preferring yourself and your needs over others is kind of textbook selfishness. And the, real, the, the reality is, is like we date selfishly too. Like one of the most commonly heard phrases you'll hear when someone, you ask someone about their relationship is like, well, you know, I love the way that they make me feel. I love the way that they make me feel happy. Well, what are you going to do when they don't make you feel that way anymore? Like what are you going to do when you wake up and that feeling isn't there? What are you going to do when those feelings are gone? Because they are going to go. They will ebb and they will flow. Are you just going to dip out? Like when you say, I love the way you make, you make me feel, you're making it all about you. I love you because you make me feel a certain way. But Jesus is saying love is inherently others-centered. Love is not self-centered. So instead of being selfish, be a servant. Do things that are not for you. Find someone who is a servant and date them. Find someone who is living out their purpose, which is to serve Jesus and his church. Listen, we are the most powerful force for the church as young adults. Right now, you have maximum freedom in your life to serve Jesus. Even though some of you may not feel that way, it is true. You have maximum freedom to do that. Jesus could have changed the world with anybody, but he chose 12 guys between the ages of 18 and 35. Why? Because they had maximum freedom, and you guys do too, and I believe Jesus wants to change the world through you, through changing our community here. Jesus wants to do that. So when I say, hey, guys, we need more people to start groups. We need more people to host groups. And when you say, hey, we're getting really serious about hospitality and generosity. And we want you guys to get on board with that. And we want you guys to share meals with each other. And we want you guys to create avenues and outlets for other people to come in and interface with us through that. Whenever I say, hey, um, you know, we're doing what that is, like, you should be like, yes, like I'm in, like I'm in for whatever it takes to make Jesus' name known around me because that is how much I love him. I'm all in. Like as a Christ follower, you should be all over that 
because Jesus has filled you up with so much love that it's like a cup overflowing with water. It's just brimming out of you to other people. But many of us in here are not doing that because we're concerned with protecting our own self, protecting our own time, protecting our own commitments, protecting our own resources. Rather than trusting God, rather than seeking God, rather than serving God. Guys, ladies, listen, you do not want a selfish man to love you. You want someone to love you like Jesus. Jesus was a servant. It's all over the Gospels. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 5. This is Paul's instructions, kind of at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, of like, hey, if Jesus has changed your life, this is kind of how it happens. That's kind of the first opening chapters of Ephesians. And then he kind of shifts gears midway through the letter to say, hey, when people's lives have been changed like Jesus, this is the way that it looks kind of on the back end of it. So then he kind of goes through a lot of different relationships, but then he comes on down and he starts to talk about husbands and wives. So he's talking about the covenant of marriage and he kind of zooms in on that for five verses. And we're going to read that um, right here. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He served the church. He died for the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, in the same way, so In the exact same way, not less, not more, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, the same way that you care for yourself every day by feeding your body, by washing your body, by making sure it gets some exercise, by making sure it gets some sunlight, the same way you care for yourself. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body, Jesus died serving the church. He poured out his entire life, his own blood. Guys, marry someone who lives out service to the degree that they don't have to try to use their words to convince you that they really are a servant. That's the type of person you want to look for. That's the type of person you want to strive to be. That is the type of caliber that we need to overturn the landscape of marriage. Last thing, number three, passionately follow Christ, find someone who is. Passionately follow Christ and find someone who is. Like, what are you willing to give up to follow Christ? Like, seriously, think about that for a second. Like, what in your life and your heart and your mind is truly like, this is off base for me? Like, I'll give God everything but this thing. Because some of us in here, like, we are so okay with just the American kind of lukewarm Christianity. Like, I just kind of flow in and out of church. I kind of go when I feel like it. Don't really get involved. I don't really give back. I don't really do anything to move the ball forward. And, like, I'm not really into having, like, a real vibrant faith with Jesus. But, like, I kind of know about him. And, like, I'm just here, and I'm kind of putting on, like, this fake, you know, religious facade um, in front of people. And it's like, have I given my desires over to God? Like, probably not. And the thing is, is, like, that's probably killing you. And the thing is, is you look at that, 
and you don't give every part of your life over to Jesus, and you look in the backseat of your life, and it's like marriage and family and all this thing has really honestly been kind of an idol. And you're falling into that, man, I want the gifts of the Creator, but I don't want the Creator Himself. Guys, if you're not committed to Jesus in the sense of like 100% commitment, it's going to be hard. I won't lie to you. Like, just imagine this with me for a second. Imagine you make it to your wedding day. You're so excited. You put all this planning, all this stress, all this anxiety into this big day. All your friends are there. All your family's there. And your spouse comes down the aisle, and you're so excited. Heart is brimming over with all these emotions. Like, you've waited so long for this day. And you're like, man, it's finally here. It's finally coming. And you get down, and and your spouse says to you, hey, I'm committed to you. You're reciting your vows and say, I'm committed to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, 80% of the time. Like, you're not going to be okay with that. You're not going to be all right with that. Like, why do we think that it's okay when if someone were to say 80% of the time or I'll commit to you whenever it's convenient or I'll commit to you whenever I feel like it, but that is the way that we're committed to God. Like no one would be okay with that, but so many of us in here, we are okay with dating someone whose commitment to Christ looks exactly like that. And maybe the reason for all of that, when we kind of move out all of the things, and we look underneath the surface, is that the standards we set for dating and the things that we look for, like, they're inherently selfish and they don't have anything to do with following Jesus. Like, listen to me. Like, stop saying, like, hey, here's my standards. Here's what it has to be. Like, he's got to love dogs or I'm out. Like, I'm not interested if he doesn't love dogs. Like, listen, the guy that you marry is probably going to be allergic to dogs, okay? Okay. Like, that's just the way the world works, and you're not going to be able to get a dog. Stop saying, she's got to be blonde, he has to be athletic, she has to earn 75K a year, he has to be tall, she can't be more than two years older than me. All those things are not about the other person. They're about pleasing you. They're about gratifying you. They're not about them. That's what makes you walk around in insecurity all the time because you're unable to enjoy people for who they are because you want them to match up to this thing that you have dreamed up in your head that no human can fulfill. So let me ask you, like, what's your deal breaker? Oh, they got to be this certain race. They can't have any kids. You got shallow standards. You need to dump your shallow standards. Instead, have standards that are rooted in Scripture. Uh, God says this, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Value what God values, and he values what's inside. Like, it's amazing to me. Proverbs 31 is so often quoted at women. But in that chapter, there is not one mention of physical characteristics, but it's all about spiritual character. And it's all about the heart. How do I know what their heart looks like? Both men and women show you their heart with their actions. So look at their actions. Look at the things that they do. Do they honor God with what they say? 
Do they bring life to others with their words? Or do they just destroy them? Do they just tear them down? Do they just rip people up when they're not around? Do they talk about people instead of talking to people? Is their speech marked with humility or arrogance? You don't want to date an arrogant person. And you can tell if someone's arrogant just by hearing them talk. Do they honor the Lord with the way they live? Do they use every part of their life, their finances, their free time to serve others? Do the way that they treat other people reflect Jesus, or do they just play games with you? Like they don't text you back just to see if you'll call. They subtweet you, they subpost about you just to see if they'll say anything. Like that's childish, man. Grow up. Like be a man. Like Romans 12 says, let your love be sincere. Kids play games. Adults do not play games. Dating is not something for kids. It's for adults. So maybe it's time to grow up out of that. In the same way they love others, do they love other people or do they use people? Look at their past. Like is their past like a trail, like a dumpster fire of relationships? Or is it marked with patience and kindness and long suffering? So you might say like, man, like I want to help this person. Like I just want to help. I want to help them be who God made them be. Like listen, you're not God. Like you can't fix people. You can't change them. Everyone individually has to choose to go to God on their own. You can't choose that for them. My fear is some of us in here stay in toxic relationships way too long because we're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job when we need to get out of the Holy Spirit's way. So stop waiting to start. Start preparing now, guys. Singleness, it's not a curse, it's a blessing. You get this whole season in your life to prepare. You get time to address things that you don't have to drag someone else into, guys. And I'm, I'm so afraid, so afraid. Every year we do this series, people are going to listen to this and they're going to try to turn this into some type of formula. Like, okay, if I can just check all these boxes, if I can just do these three things David talked about tonight, then God's going to finish writing my love story and he's going to write the person right into there. And it's like, maybe he will, maybe, but maybe he won't. And if that disappoints you, like, I think you're missing out on the majesty of what it is to follow Jesus. Like, you're missing out on the better part of this. Like, some of you need to be so, stop being so passive about following God, and you need to get really, really healthy. Like, you need to get everything cleaned up in your life before you try to ask someone to go to Chili's with you. And some of you, like, you just got to stop being passive, period. Like, you're following Christ, you're pursuing him. And you're like, ah, you know, like there's godly women out there, but like, I don't know if I should, you know, maybe God will just cause everything to happen. Like, maybe you just need to stop being passive about that. But listen, I'm telling you this. If you get your relationship with God thriving, every other relationship in your life will flourish. And dating will not thrive without Christ at the center of your life. And I think at the root behind all of this is all of us in here, we just want to be chosen. Like we just want someone to choose us so we can choose them back. And here's the thing, is that Jesus has already chosen you. Jesus has already made the first step towards you. Jesus already came here, lived the life that you couldn't live, and paid the ultimate price on the cross, giving his own life so that the brokenness in your life can come back together, so that you don't have to stay in that. You don't have to stay in that addiction. You don't have to stay a slave to those things, that there is power, that there is freedom, 
in the gospel when you go to the foot of the cross and you lay it before Jesus and you say, hey, enough is enough. I'm ready to turn around. I'm ready to give over every part. There are parts of my life that I have kept reserved for me that I've only been following you 80% and I'm ready to choose you with 100% of myself because you have chosen me with 100% of yourself. Some of us in here need to do that tonight. So here's what we're gonna do. I want you guys just to bow with me and we're just gonna spend a few minutes in prayer before we get ready to close out in worship. I just want you to ask God, God, what's that, what's that area of my life that I've kept fenced off from you? say, God, what's, what's something in my life, God, that's keeping me from pursuing you, God? Whether that's just something that I'm just not letting you in or something that I'm a slave to, God, that I've said yes to too many times. You just say, God, I know your word says that the truth will set me free, and I want to walk in that freedom. You just show me how. Finally, would you just say, God, would you just show me what's next? Show me what's next in my journey of following you. Show me what my next step is. God, ask God to put godly people around you. Ask him to put godly community around you to help you take that next step.